Swango, right? Wasn't it Swango? Dr. Swango? That weirdo who killed all those? Yes. I got it off the cuff. Michael Swango, okay? We ought to do just like a live just discussing him one day, but real creepy, real creepy looking dude, right? Real creepy, creepy looking dude. Michael Swango. Let me show you the wiki, okay, real quick. That's the wiki, okay? Dude is, here, look. (laughs) You see that motherfucker coming for you? You see him walking up? You ain't going to be able to get not even 10 feet around me because you're it's it's almost you know it gives you a white van vibes right killer white vans the ones that sit off in the cut waiting to kidnap somebody he just gives you them type of vibes i don't know but anyway michael swingo a serial killer all right and he was a doctor And it's estimated that he has been involved in as many as 60 fatal poisonings of not only patients, his own patients, but even some colleagues. Now, he has admitted to causing four deaths, um, but in 2000, he was sentenced to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. And he's actually currently serving his sentence at ADX in Florence. Life without the possibility of parole, still alive, still incarcerated. Crazy, right? I mean, this guy was born in Tacoma, Washington, all right? Raised up in Illinois and became a doctor, valedictorian of his class. But all of a sudden, man, people started coming up dead. Um, They said that, honestly, right into his, like, school, uh, you know, as soon as he went to medical school or whatnot, he started displaying troubling behavior, right, during that time. They said he was brilliant. He preferred to work as an ambulance attendant rather than concentrating on his studies. He had a fascination with dying patients. And was observed during, you know, that time as having this fascination. Um, But although it was barely noticed at the time, many of his patients ended up coding or suffering some sort of life-threatening emergency. He had at least five. While he was in medical school, at least five patients died on him. His lackadaisical approach to his studies caught up with him a month before he was due to graduate when it was discovered that he had faked checkups during his OBGYN rotation. Because, you know, as you become a doctor and you go to medical school, you actually do, you know, a rotation in all areas, right? Um, OBGYN, uh, uh, orthopedics, right? Neurology, Now, some of his fellow medical students had suspected that he had been faking checkups as early as his second year, but this was the first time he had been caught red-handed and he was nearly expelled. 
but was allowed to remain when one member of the committee voted to give him a second chance. And at that time, this unanimous vote was required for a student to be dismissed. So even earlier, several students and faculty members had raised concerns about Swango's competence to practice medicine. Eventually, the school allowed him to graduate one year after his entering classmates on condition that he repeat the OBGYN rotation and complete several assignments in other specialties. Now, very, very poor evaluation in a dean's letter from his medical school was basically written. Um, a very poor evaluation in his, in his dean's letter, but he gained a surgical internship anyway. All right. And in 83, he followed this up by a residency in neurosurgery. Okay. Neurosurgery, the type of doctor I have to go to, <laughs> the kind of doctor that has to be very good at what they do. Right. While he worked there at that Rhodes Hall at OSU at Ohio State University Medical Center, nurses started noticing that healthy patients began dying mysteriously at an alarming frequency. You know, the vibe was just off. And each time, Swango had been the floor intern. One nurse even caught him injecting medication into a patient who later became strangely ill. These nurses, they reported their concerns to administrators, but were met with accusations of paranoia. Swango was cleared by an investigation, a cursory investigation in 84. Keep in mind, he just, this he's new. He just got, he just became a doctor, okay, at this point. And there's already, I mean, like I said, even in medical school, five of his patients mysteriously died. However, his work had been so horrible that OSU pulled its residency offer after his internship ended in June of that year. Later, it did emerge that officials feared that Swango would sue if he were fired without cause. So they resolved to quietly push him out of the hospital as soon as possible after his internship ended. They knew something was wrong with him. So then in July of 84, Swango returns to Quincy and begins working as an emergency medical technician with the Adams County Ambulance Corps. He had been fired from an ambulance service in Springfield, Illinois, for making a heart patient drive to the hospital. Dude was a mass, dude is a mass masochist. Many of the paramedics on staff also began noticing that whenever Swango prepared the coffee or brought any food in, several of them would become violently ill with no apparent cause. So he started poisoning his colleagues in their food. He was later arrested by the Quincy Police Department after arsenic and other poisons were found in his possession. Uh, in uh, 1985, he was convicted of aggravated battery for poisoning co-workers, these same co-workers. That he, I, like, he got five years in the pen. 
but his story don't end there. Are you kidding me? It don't even end there. There was cases they wanted to charge him with, with murder and attempted murder. They felt they had a lack of physical evidence. Now, here, here comes 1989. You know, we're going to, you know, 1989, right? At this point. In the last decade, he done graduated medical school, then got into, you know, an internship and ended up in prison but then he gets released from prison and found work as a counselor at the state career development center in newport news virginia he was forced out after being caught working on a scrapbook of disasters on work time like huh that's kind of like those ghoul books we were talking about Uh, the type of books or content that people keep of like death scenes, right? Gore books, ghoul books. I don't know why they called them ghoul books. They're more so considered gore books, but whatever. Um, but obviously he was making scrapbooks related to disasters that had happened and he was doing it on work time, which is kind of weird. I mean, it could be considered kind of weird unless he's doing authentic research, but nah, dude is fascinated. He's a masochist. Um, He then found a job as a laboratory technician, all right? Um, During his time there, several employees sought medical attention with complaints of persistent and increasing stomach pains. Around this time, he fell in love with a nurse. He was employed until 91 when he resigned his position to seek out a new position as a doctor. So what does he do? Because he can't possibly become a, I mean, come on with this past. But hey, 1991 comes along, right? He's in love. Then he legally changes his name to Daniel J. Adams. And he tried to apply for a residency program at Ohio Valley Medical Center right in Wheeling West Virginia in July of 92 he began working at Sanford USD Medical Center in Sioux Falls South Dakota in both cases Swango forged several legal documents that he used to reestablish himself as a physician and respected member of society he forged a fact sheet from the Illinois Department of Corrections That falsified his criminal record, stating that he had been convicted of a misdemeanor for getting into a fistfight with a co-worker and received six months in prison rather than the five years for felony poisoning that he served. (laughs) You know, when he tried to kill his co-workers, right? Most states will not grant a medical license to a violent felon, considering such a conviction to be evidence of unprofessional conduct. So he forged a restoration of civil rights letter from Virginia Governor Gerald Belize, falsely stating that Belize had decided to restore Swango's right to vote and serve on a jury based on reports from friends and colleagues 
that he had committed no further crimes after his misdemeanor and was leading an exemplary lifestyle. <laughs> he established a sterling reputation at Sioux Valley, but made the mistake of attempting to join the American Medical Association. The AMA did a more thorough background check than Sanford and found out about the poisoning conviction. That Thanksgiving Day, the Discovery Channel aired an episode of Justice Files that also included a segment on Swango. He actually, like, started, you, you know, remember the old Court TV? The old, like, Court TV, uh, I mean, there's still channels like that, right? Uh, ID, right? With us women, we love that shit, right? Back in the day, though, it, it was on the Discovery Channel, and y'all remember the Justice Files. So anyway, Swango ended up getting a, a story on the Justice Files, right? And <laughs> they ended up firing Swango again. The woman that he fell in love with left him, went back to Virginia because she was suffering sicknesses. And as soon as she left him, she started feeling better. They were actually tracking him, right? So they lost track of Swango, who managed to find a place in a psychiatric residency at Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York. I mean, dude, is he's doing it. What's up, Skyaticus? Good to see you. Mimi, hey, how are you? We're in the middle of the story of Michael Swango. It was kind of unexpected. We'll have to... Uh, I'll have to cut this part out and just upload just this part. But um, he ends up in the psychiatric residency program, right? I mean, he just wants to be a doctor at all costs. Now, his first rotation was in the internal medicine department at the Veteran Affairs Medical Center in Northport, New York. Once again, his patients begin dying for no explicit, for just no reason. Then four months later, the girlfriend that that he had committed suicide and arsenic was found in her body at the time of her death. Now, her mom was horrified to find out that a person with his history could even been allowed to practice medicine. Like, she couldn't believe it. She contacted a friend of her daughter's who had died. Remember, she was a nurse at Stanford. And um, they, in turn, alerted Sanford's Dean to Swango's whereabouts. See, this guy was so bad. This guy was so bad that, and they knew he kept somehow getting himself into these medical schools, right? Or into these, not medical schools, but into these residencies, et cetera, et cetera. And it became dangerous. And so they started trying to warn each other, right? So all of these deans, you know, get together or whatever. And needless to say, one of the deans sent a warning about Swango to all 125 medical schools and all 1,000 teaching hospitals across the United States effectively blacklisting Swango from getting a medical residency at any American institution. Period. 
Now, again, patients were dying in his most recent residency at the Veteran Affairs Medical Center in Northport, New York. Just dying for no reason, right? So now they got him fired. Uh, They found out that he lied to get in. And now he's effectively blacklisted across the United States. And since the incident took place at a Veteran Affairs facility, federal authorities got involved. Swango then drops out of sight until mid-1994 when the FBI found out that he was living in Atlanta and he was working as a chemist at a computer equipment company's wastewater facility. Soon after, the FBI alerted the company. Swango was fired for lying on his job application. The FBI obtained a warrant charging Swango with using fraudulent credentials to gain entry to a veteran affairs hospital. By that time, Swango fled the country. In November 1994, he settled in Zimbabwe. And he used forged documents to obtain a job at the Meninge Lutheran Mission Hospital in the center of the country. And again, his patients began dying mysteriously. But as a result of suspicions of the medical director there at the Lutheran Mission Hospital, Dr. I think it's Zajiri, Swango was suspended. Because of the failure to perform adequate autopsies, no firm conclusions were ever drawn in regards to what killed these people. But during his suspension, Swango hired a lawyer named David Coltart to enable him to return to his clinical practice. I mean, here he is. He can't be a doctor in the United States ever again, right? And now he's going to fight for his right to practice medicine in in Zimbabwe. He also appealed to the authorities at the hospital to allow him in the interim to continue working voluntarily there. However, this was opposed. This was opposed by Abdullah Mezbah, a surgical resident who had often found him snooping around mysteriously in the wards and in the intensive care unit, even when not on call. He had suspected that sudden deaths of some patients were due to Swango, but had no proof at that stage. Now at this time, Swango rents a room. He rents a room from a widowed woman who subsequently started to become violently sick. This after a meal she had prepared for herself and a friend. The woman consulted a local surgeon, Michael Cotton, who suspected arsenic poisoning and persuaded her to send hair samples for forensic analysis to Pretoria in South Africa. These clippings confirmed toxic levels of arsenic in her hair. The lab reports They were passed on by the Zimbabwe Republic Police Criminal Investigation Department through Interpol to the FBI, who subsequently visited Zimbabwe to interview Ms. Cotton and the uh, the pathologist 
uh, Stanford math. And in the meantime, Swango, he had sensed that the net was closing in on him. So he left this time he crosses the border into Zambia and then subsequently into Namibia where he found more temporary medical work. He was charged in absentia with the poisoning deaths in Zimbabwe. And in March of 1997, he applies for a job at the Royal Hospital in Duran, Saudi Arabia, using a false resume. Now, while all this was happening, right, chief investigator for the Office of the Inspector General of the Department of Veteran Affairs consulted with Charlene Thomason, a forensic psychiatrist, because of her considerable clinical expertise. Thomason was able to review documents and evidence and, and gave a criminal profile of Swango, along with her assessment of why he had committed such crimes. Now, Valerie was called by the FBI to discuss holding Swango. The conversation focused on Swango lying on his government application to work at the VA, where he prescribed narcotic medications. And there was enough evidence for immigration and naturalization service agents to arrest Swango in June of 97 on a layover at Chicago O'Hare International Airport on his way to Saudi Arabia. Faced with the very hard evidence of his fraudulent activities and the possibility of an extended inquiry into his time in Zimbabwe, remember, he was charged in absentia. Swango pled guilty to defrauding the government in March of 98, and in July of 98, he was sentenced to three and a half years in prison. The sentencing, the sentencing judge ordered that Swango not be allowed to prepare or deliver food or have any involvement in preparing or distributing drugs. Now, although the FBI, the VA, and the prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York were convinced that Swango was a serial killer, they knew it would be difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. They also knew they had a limited amount of time to amass this proof. Federal inmates must serve at least 85% of their sentences before being eligible for time off with good behavior, meaning that they likely had only three years to prove Swango was indeed a murderer. And they feared that if they could not find enough evidence to convict Swango, he was likely to kill again. Now, the government used this time to amass a dossier on Swango's crimes. As part of that investigation, prosecutors exhumed the bodies of three patients, and they did find poisonous chemicals in them. They also found evidence that Swango paralyzed patient Baron Harris with an injection of what was supposedly a sedative. That sedative caused him to lapse into a coma, and he died on November 9th of 93. Prosecutors also found evidence that Swango lied about the death of Cynthia Ann McGee. This was a patient that he treated during his internship at OSU. Swango claimed that she suffered heart failure. He had killed her, 
by giving her a potassium injection that stopped her heart. Just a week, less than a week before he was due to be released from prison on the fraud charge in July 11th, 2000, federal prosecutors on Long Island filed a criminal complaint charging Swango with three counts of murder, one count of assault, and one count each of false statements, mail fraud, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. At the same time, Zimbabwe authorities charged him with poisoning seven patients, five of whom died. A week before this indictment was handed up, FBI agents interviewed Swango in prison. They told him that on the day he was due to be released, he would be extradited to Zimbabwe to face charges of murder and attempted murder. Knowing that he would likely face the death penalty for his crimes in Zimbabwe, Swango began talks for a plea agreement. Eventually, prosecutors agreed to take the death penalty and extradition off the table in return for Swango accepting a sentence of life in prison without parole. Swango, formally indicted on July 17, 2000, pled not guilty. And on September 6, he pled guilty to the three murder counts, as well as counts of wire fraud and mail fraud before Judge Jacob Mishler. Had he not done so, he faced the possibility of the death penalty in both countries. At his sentencing hearing, Swango admitted to causing three murders, lying about his role in causing a fourth death, and lying about his 1985 conviction. Prosecutors even read lurid passages from Swango's notebook describing the joy that he felt during his crimes. Judge Mishler sentenced Swango to three consecutive terms of life without parole. And he, again, is currently incarcerated at ADX in ADX Florence. Max. <laughs> he was sent to ADX at his own request. He had been stabbed by another inmate while serving time for lying to the VA and feared he would be attacked again if he were placed in general population. In the book Blind Eye, Quincy native James B. Stewart has estimated that counting the suspicious deaths at SIU, the circumstantial evidence links Swango to 35 total suspicious deaths. The FBI believes he may be responsible for as many as 60 deaths total, which would make him one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Swango rarely changed his murder methods with non-patients, such as co-workers at the emergency medical service, he used poisons, usually arsenic, slipping it into foods and beverages. With patients, he would sometimes use poisons, but usually he administered an overdose of whichever drug the patient had been prescribed or wrote unnecessary prescriptions for dangerous drugs. And that is Michael Swango. Let me show you actually an up-to-date image of Michael Swango. This is his latest um, 
This actually is his latest photo. In one second. Open image in new tab. Thank you. All right. Let me show you a photo here. This is the latest photo of Michael Swango. Um, still got them thick Coke bottle glasses on. <laughs> that is a very, hold on a second. Let me, there we go. That is a very dangerous man. This man can't help himself. Um, again, he wrote in some of his notebooks about the joy that he felt when he murdered people, when he murdered his patients. Doctors are supposed to take an oath, right? Murdering your patients is not part of the, the equation. But this man here, if he was to ever go free, I mean, look at all the incidents in which he faked and false falsified his way into doing residency programs anything just to work in this hospital because of his lust for murder his lust to kill his lust to kill destroy steal desecrate disgusting but yeah that is Michael Swango. And so I, you know, I think it's a valid question to ask. How did three people end up drinking dishwashing liquid at this senior living facility in San Mateo, California? I think it's valid to always look at those things and keep the possibility that someone, something intentional could have happened. Don't rule it out too quick, right? Because there are people like Michael Swango. Thanks to everybody who came through. Make sure you catch us on all podcasts, all streaming podcast platforms. We're out over there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon, and a few others. But I, I just figured I'd list the more popular ones. And uh, make sure you subscribe, follow through. I've been pleasantly surprised at the viewership I'm getting. Um, and uh, I do, you know, I'm y'all already know I'm sort of going that direction. I've been going that direction for a while. Um, but um, video podcasts are on Spotify. All the rest is audio only. Just fine with me. But if you want a video... Um, check out Spotify. If you want, uh, here, I'll throw you a link here. That'll take you directly to my podcast platform there, anchor.fm forward slash leak you. I appreciate everybody, uh, for coming out. Uh, we will, we'll have to get a update on the story. Once we find out what the heck, happened and how this mix-up happened and who, you know, um, who mixed this up, so to speak, right? Anyway, guys, have a really great rest of your day. Until next time.